Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please Follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. Um, today I have Dr. Laura Purdy. Um, she is a uh, military physician, a physician entrepreneur. Um, I would probably say a physician innovator. Um, this conversation is really, really cool. We talk about uh, the current um, environment of telehealth, telemedicine, virtual care, and where it's going. Um, you know, she has worked uh, a lot in her professional career in this space, in this industry, and she gives us a lot of great insights into, um, you know, how it's evolved over time and um, how it's going to, um, how it's, you know, has and going to change the healthcare landscape further. So I definitely would invite you to uh, take a listen. And if you haven't done so already, please give us a uh, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts uh, for Thrive Bites and uh, let us know, you know, uh, if you've been enjoying it. So, um, so yeah, stay tuned for this episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could be anywhere in the world, and you decided to take a few moments to be here with us, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, so my next guest for today, um, I'm very, very thrilled to have them on the show. Um, her name is Dr. Laura Purdy. Uh, she is a board certified family medicine physician, and, uh, she is wrapping up, um, her 14 years as an officer in the U S army. Uh, she started working in telemedicine in 2016, um, as a full-time physician, became a medical director for MD live. And after which she became a regional medical director for hymns and hers and entered into the telehealth industry gig economy style. And, uh, She's worked for dozens of virtual health companies across the industry, um, has consulted for early stage telehealth startups in the U.S. and uh, U.K., and uh, she is, uh, believe it or not, licensed <laughs> in the entire U.S. of A., um, and she really believes in empowering young businesses to meet and exceed their vision, uh, business vision. Uh, she also co-founded two telehealth companies um, and also is lobbying at the federal level to influence change that increases access to care and reducing disparity in telehealth. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Laura. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, super excited for you to be here. Uh, thank you so much for taking uh, some time out. I know you are a busy uh, woman and, uh, you know, from that resume and, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time out to be able to spend a few moments to share uh, what you have uh, going on in your life right now. I'm so happy to be here. Honestly, these are my favorite things to talk about. And so um, I love it. I'm, I'm excited to be here. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, let's first start off. Where are you calling from? 
Good question. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Okay. Please, t- please tell me you're you're auditioning for you know, <laughs> you know, big <laughs> Americans Got Talent, or you're a judge, or something. <laughs> any well, any musical know. inclinations in your family or yourself? So you know, that's actually hysterical that you said that because. Uh, once upon a time, before I had any aspirations of being a doctor, I was a musician. Actually, mm. I, I know we did. Yeah, who would have thought? I was a I was a professional pianist, and mm. I the joke the joke is that medicine was my fallback career when music didn't make it. So you're joking, but I had music audition like music school auditions scheduled yeah. at Belmont University in Nashville when I was 18 years old. Oh, that was awesome. I mean, it was and, just a few years ago, right? But um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, um, I did, I, I played the flute, um, when I was in concert band, I think it was maybe junior high, like, maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, junior high. And then I also took up piano as well. Uh, What type of genre of music did you enjoy playing? You know, I was classically trained. um, Obviously, you know, with the competitions and everything, I was classically trained. But my love is accompanying, which I think is an analogy to my business um, life as well. You know, I don't, I'm not the center. I like to accompany whether it's choirs or musicals or singers or orchestras or bands. I like to accompany. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And I think as an analogy to, you know, our healthcare, you know, landscape right now, um, I've always saw myself, you know, being, you know, we're also, you know, family physicians, you know, um, you know, just being kind of not necessarily the center point, you know, or even the entry point. A lot of people like to think of us as like gatekeepers, you know, um, to all the other specialties and subspecialties. But I really enjoy just envisioning myself as being like the link in a bite chain. You know, it's really about teamwork and I can't do my job without, you know, everyone else. Um, And I really value that. I've never really saw myself as, you know, the head honcho or, you know, I really just enjoyed just being part of a team. So. I agree. I think that's a beautiful analogy. I've never heard it when you were saying bike chain, I was thinking like a wheel with spokes and (laughs) like, but you're right. Like, yeah, yeah. The chain, the chain that goes loose, you know, in case you like fall over. (laughs) Right. You put it back on. Um, that's, that's, that's primary care. You put it back on. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a beautiful analogy because none of us can, can do our job as well as we want to without the rest of us supporting each other in our roles. And every piece of the system is just as vital as the other um, to a productive delivery of healthcare. So I think you nailed it with that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I love using, you know, analogies that can help me like express, you know, because medicine is like a foreign language, right? You know, sometimes we're still, <laughs> still trying to figure it out. You know, the vocabulary, deciphering it, translating it. Uh, we're constantly looking up stuff, you know, running to our other colleagues, you know, um, so yeah, it's it's been definitely been a fun journey. But let's start with you. Um, I love you know asking my guests um, their origin stories. So um, you know from your introduction, uh, it sounds like you know you entered into medicine um, primarily um, in the the military, right? So can you 
uh, go into a little bit deeper. Um, you know, did you start off? Did the military come first? Did medicine come first? And you know, why in conjunction? You know, with the two, why marry the two together? Sure, uh, great question. So, you know, we'll go all the way back to the beginning of the backstory, right? So, you know, music fell through, and I decided I was going to go into healthcare. Thought I was going to go into nursing. Um, at probably for a, maybe a year and a half, I thought it's going to be nursing. Maybe it'll be a nurse practitioner. Um, and then I actually saw a very, did some shadowing here in Nashville at, at um, some of the big hospitals here in Nashville. And just saw a really unfortunate, um, in hindsight, it's really mind blowing. It was a, an older woman with an atypical presentation of, a, of an, like an instemi. Uh, and it was like mismanaged and I watched the whole thing and the patient expired, like she died, you know, it was really mm. sad. And so, and the nurses were like, Oh my gosh, she's having a heart attack. And the doctor totally blew them off, completely blew them off. And it was a really sad thing to experience. But when that happened, I said, yeah, no, I'm going to go into medicine. I'm, I don't mm. ever want to, I don't ever want to be that nurse screaming in the ER. Oh my gosh, she's having a heart attack and completely powerless, you know? Mm. Um, but this was in the early 2000s. So I don't know if you remember back in the in the early 2000s, um, you know, the war had just started and basically um, there, you know, there was a lot of patriotism and there was a lot of war footage on TV. I was single. I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. And so I would say for the later half of my teenage years, that the war was was really prominent and kind of shaped um, some life decisions I was making at the time. And so honestly, I, 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 it only made sense to me that that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a military physician. I wanted to go to military medical school. And I only applied to one place. I did not apply to more than one um, mm -hmm. location because that's where I wanted to go. That's what I wanted to do. I, I really wanted to be involved in what was going on in our country at the time. And that mm -hmm. was the best way that I could think of by joining the military and being a doctor to contribute. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, because I've had a lot of colleagues that would, uh, I guess, uh, obtain the military scholarship. It was a, it was an option, you know, for us. Um, I actually considered, um, joining the Navy uh, when I was in medical school um, because I love, you know, the ocean, the water, and I thought it would be, you know, a pretty cool gig to join the demolition squad, right? <laughs> um, so that, you know, that, that, that was, you know, short-lived. Um, but yeah, I think that's super, super commendable. Um, I think um, depending, you know, on, you know, your, your patient demographics, um, you know, the military and the special you know, men and women that make up all these great military branches are a very, very unique, you know, breed. Um, I remember my, uh, I used to work as a traveling physician, a locum uh, tenens, and um, I recall my experience in the VA hospital um, in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. And I just remembered all the different stories that I probably saw every vet from almost every war. It was a really, really cool experience. And they would share with me their, uh, their stories, um, you know, the trials and tribulations, their heartaches. And 
um, you know, what I got was uh, a lot of, you know, psychiatric disorders, drug abuse, alcohol disorders, you know, things like that. And it's sad, you know, and um, not to say that it doesn't affect our civilian population, but, you know, they go through a different kind of life experience, right? And so it definitely takes a special a breed of people to be able to say like, Hey, you know, I'm here for you. So, you know, fully. Right. And, um, you know, I, you know, like you said, like I went to one school, <laughs> you know, I applied to one school and, you know, this is what I know that I need to do. You know, it almost, it sounded like it was like a calling of some sort. Absolutely. I, I've never heard it phrased that way before. Um, but it was a calling. And I remember there was a lot of doubters, you know, so many people, some of my parents included said, well, what are you going to do if you don't get accepted? Mm. And I said, well, then I'm going to figure out why I'm going to figure out what was not attractive about my application. And I'm going to do what I need to do and apply again next year. There was no, I mean, thankfully I did get accepted on the first time, but, um, I, there was nothing else. It was a calling certainly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, you are, I believe you're finished or you're wrapping up, um, you know, that kind that career, right? And now you have, you know, found yourself in what you call or what we call the telehealth gig economy, right? Um, and so this is a very interesting industry. Um, and I would love for you to share, you know, maybe like a snapshot on, you know, telehealth, telemedicine, um, maybe, you know, from your lens, you know, how it began. Um, because I, you know, I got into telehealth, uh, virtual medicine, you know, before the pandemic and, you know, being in the third year of the pandemic, you know, definitely changed the game, right? Um, in a sense, it kind of normalized seeing a physician across the screen um, or maybe hearing their voice, you know, him or her, you know, um, on the phone. And that would be okay uh, without actually going into an office or an urgent care or ER or hospital and not having them put their stethoscope on your chest or use their reflex hammer to, you know, hit your, you know, kneecap. You know, it just, it's mind boggling, you know, even as I articulate that, right? So how did you find yourself, um, you know, starting off uh, that career path um, in this industry? Sure. Well, like I said, this is these are my favorite conversations to have because I, I love to challenge our former ways of thinking and stretch our minds to learn how to think about things differently and progressively. But honestly, I'll tell you exactly how it started. It was real simple. I was in the military, right? We've already established that. I was a hospitalist. So I am family medicine, but the the location where I was I was working as a like a chief of inpatient services for a medpeds small community hospital. And so two weeks of the month, you don't work as a hospitalist. I'm sure you know, it's um, usually a seven on seven off or something like that. And doctor type A personality, not the type of person to just do nothing for two weeks out of the month. But one of the challenges of being in the military is that moonlighting um, in other facilities is really hard to do. And the reason why is because you can't be, um, I could say called up to help with, I mean, technically you can, the government can tell you to step away from anything to go do that. But, but that's the, the risk of like, if I'm taking a shift at another ER or if I'm moonlighting as, as a hospitalist down the road, 
and the army calls me up to serve, but I'm on shift in another hospital, it'd be really hard to do. So at that time, that was just how I chose to moonlight because it was easier for me to get approval from my bosses to do that than it was to, and also like doing a, a you know, seven twelves or something, and then going and doing hospital work at another hospital, it's exhausting. Um, and so no, I, no. I didn't, but that, that's honestly, that's how it got started. And so you ask about the history of telemedicine, um, which I think is really interesting. So you may remember 15, 20 years ago, the online pharmacies, as they were called, Canadian pharmacies or international pharmacies where they were kind of shady, right? Like you could go on and order medication online, but you had no idea when it was shipping to you and you had no idea the quality of the pills or where they were made or if you were even getting, you know, it would show up in an unmarked plastic baggie or something. <laughs> right. But you remember those days, right? It's yeah. large illegal now and you will hardly not find that anywhere and the reason why is because the internet google uh, other advertising search engines they just have a lot of sanctions in place to even allow these companies to have a website or function mm -hmm. you have to be legitimate you have to pass sure scripts and all that kind of stuff yeah, so yeah. i think telemedicine got a bad rap because its origins was in kind of shady Shady territory. Shadiness. <laughs> but then, and so, and it, and it happened. If you Google, you can find lawsuits from the early to mid 2000s where people lost their medical licenses because mm. they weren't like acting in good faith. And also they were practicing ahead of the law, meaning um, I don't like to use the term against the law when I find out that someone has gotten in trouble for something that's now legal. I say they're practicing ahead of the law because mm. the legislation is evolving to allow for more and more practice of medicine, but we have to be careful to kind of stay behind it or stay within it in a um, responsible way because yeah. the, the laws are evolving. Um, but people were practicing ahead of the law and they lost their license or they got disciplined and, that's a thing that happened um, during that time. So then you have some of these like urgent care, phone, video platforms that like MD Live, Teladoc, and well, the OGs, the OGs of Teladoc, <laughs> where, um, you know, you call or you pick up a video and, and then there's your patient, right? Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned, I think it's kind of, you know, weird, the thought of practicing medicine without seeing a patient. And what I say to people when they say that, I say, is it though? Because how many board certification exam questions or step one, step two, step three questions have you been able to answer and practice medicine on paper? Or when you take all of your shelf exams for all of your rotations and residency, you're basically practicing medicine on patients that aren't real, but you can read something, you can get their vital signs, you can hear their chief complaints. And you're obligated to give them a diagnosis or recommend a treatment or recommend a follow-up plan. And that's not even a real patient. That's just a test question. And, and so I think it's, it is something you know how to do. And it is something that, that we're trained to do and that we should be familiar with doing um, because that's how we're educated to be doctors in America. But the difference is, is we're taking those same techniques that we use in education, right? History, listening mm -hmm. to the patient, getting all the data you can, and then applying that into the virtual health setting, you can actually practice very good medicine virtually um, 
if we free ourselves of the notion that you have to be able to physically be in the same room as someone or laying your hands on them to be able to give them what they need. Right, right. Yeah, I find that interesting because I never thought of it in that context where, you know, the test questions, the shelf exams, the steps, the board exams, you kind of have to imagine the scenario, right? And, you know, for those that are listening that are healthcare professionals that are physicians, it's pretty much they train you to the point where you kind of have to have an idea, a differential diagnosis, they say, you know, of like your top three or five within a sentence, you know, uh, you know, 47 year old female comes into the ER with, you know, a headache, and then your attending or your supervising physician would be like, go, right? Tell me what you think it is. <laughs> and, and so that's how they trained us, you know? Um, and so it's, yeah, you're totally right. That's a very interesting way of uh, putting it. And, you know, the pandemic now, you know, we're going into our, we're in our third year, um, in a way has kind of normalized it. You know, we talked a little bit off screen, um, off camera, and it's amazing, you know, um, you know, I see patients, you know, virtually, um, you know, you consult and we'll talk about that um, as well. And it is, it is part of our day to day. So, um, so when you started, you know, and you got into the quote unquote thick of things, um, you started off as uh, a physician, seeing patients, you know, just kind of gaining that experience. And then you, uh, you know, ascended to more, you know, executive roles. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say it didn't happen on purpose, but it happened just by virtue of being in the right place at the right time, willing to say yes to the tasks. I mean, one of the things I've noticed about maybe people who aren't as successful in entrepreneurial endeavors is this, you have to have that willingness to say, yeah, I'll do that and not get wrapped or not get wrapped up around things like, Oh, are you going to pay me for every second of my time? I'll write your protocol, but what are you going to pay me for it? You know, <laughs> like just a willingness to jump in and not expect anything in return necessarily. And um, a desire to improve a mm. desire to, evolve the process, evolve the technology, evolve the practice of medicine remotely. Uh, I think stepping into directorship, leadership, executive roles, I think that's a natural progression for just the things I was doing, you know? Right, right. And so um, now, you know, from that, you've took on a lot of executive roles and now you currently consult. Um, what is it about, you know, consulting all these different companies um, or startups, um, as we were talking about in your introduction, that, you know, really throws you, you know, um, you said it yourself that you really love answering these types of questions. And, you know, I already know that you're passionate in it. But what is it about, you know, this form of quote unquote, you know, medicine that, you know, excites you? I, it's so exciting to me because we're living the future right now. Every other industry in the country, we do remotely. We do virtual school now. We do virtual banking. We do virtual shopping. We do virtual dating. You can buy a car online and have it delivered to your house. We do virtual mm -hmm. restaurants. 
you, I have, we do virtual like veterinary, you know, things and piano lessons and everything can be done remotely. And I feel like medicine and telehealth is so deeply entrenched in these archaic uh, notions that you can't take care of someone or you, you can't be a good doctor unless you're in the same room as someone, which is wholeheartedly untrue. And I mm. think that what's so exciting to me is that I'm, I'm living the future of my profession right now. And I, I think part of the reason why I, I do get asked to be on advisory boards or set on, um, you know, panels or speak or advise is because I'm not afraid of it. I'm not so brazen to think that I am above the law or I don't want to be responsible or anything like that, but mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of it. I'm certainly not stuck in old mentalities. And I also, as an innovator in this industry, I want to be very keenly aware of. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, if you are interested in having a consultation with me and actually see me one-on-one, um, the Chef Doc Lifestyle Medicine uh, practice has partnered with Plant-Based Telehealth and uh, we offer uh, lifestyle medicine consultations. So you'll be able to see me one-on-one and uh, I can go over your health history and seeing what we can do to fill in the gaps. Uh, we can talk about your physical health, anything from food to lifestyle to diet to setting up your kitchen to cooking preparation to grocery shopping to your mental health um, i think it's important that we build our emotional resilience to talking about your sleep and how to stay hydrated and what are the best uh, medicines if necessary what are the best supplementations if necessary and we do all this in a very concise manner and it's a conversation i take the time out to listen i take the time out to really understand you from the ground up and to look at all aspects um, of your physical emotional and mental health and um, please you know, uh, drop me a line, schedule an appointment if you want to see me one-on-one. -on -one. And um, I am very, very looking forward to learning more about you. And again, thank you so much for visiting uh, here uh, at The Chef Doc. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. myself not becoming outdated in the way that I'm thinking about things. Mm. Like, for example, historically, we've said, oh, you have to have two years of brick and mortar practice before you can go into telemedicine. Mm -hmm. Maybe that won't be the case in a few years, you know, mm. as who, right? That's the way we've always done things. But is that the way we should always do things? I love asking that question and driving change making people feel uncomfortable where they're at with their rigidly <laughs> held antiquated beliefs. I mean, that's just, it's, oh, it's yeah. fun. Have you, um, have you, that makes me think of, um, you know, the movie, uh, patch Adams. Do you, have you ever watched that with Robin Williams? Yeah. Long time ago. But yes. Um, it makes me think of when he first entered, you know, medical school and, uh, you know, he was sitting in the crowd, you know, the very, you know, primary class and the professors and I think Dean at the time, they were just talking about, you know, how medical school, their traditions, you know, are ran or run, you know, and uh, very, um, 
uh, high and mighty, you know, look at me, I'm on a pedestal, you know, type of deal. And, uh, you know, Patch Adams him himself, you know, uh, he was a game changer in a lot of ways, right? And it makes me think about what you are saying in terms of, you know, that that edge, that cutting edge of where medicine is going. And that it is exciting, you know? Uh, we are having a lot of, uh, you know, other companies, you know, because of how the healthcare system has been, you know, if anything, the pandemic has really shown us um, how broken it is, right? And to the point where you have other corporations that are not clinical by nature, trying to, you know, redesign it, trying to, uh, you know, innovate it in a different way, um, you know, to a point where they have the resources, they have the money to do so. Uh, obviously, it's a very, you know, hu- it's a Herculean, you know, task. But it just goes to show you, you know, back to what you're saying, it's antiquated, there is a lot of rigidness, you know, um, a lot of, you know, my professional career has been very, very non-traditional, atypical. And, you know, I didn't have a roadmap to do what I do, um, because there wasn't anyone b- ahead of me that has done it in the way that I've done it, right. So a lot of people um, would ask me, like, how would I do it, you know, and I do my best to be able to convey as simply as possible. But it's the innovation. And I think that's exciting. And we need that we need to change. Um, And I love how you uh, compared it to other, you know, types of, you know, life, um, you know, just luxuries that we have, you know, just, you know, delivering food to delivering, you know, like you have Amazon, you have all these different services that have been remote and virtual. Why not medicine? Right? Why not medicine? This is the question I ask people every day. Why not medicine? So we're there. I mean, we're already there. We've established a foothold. Almost all of the state laws, if you caught me rolling my eye there, almost all the states have completely gotten on board with this. And I think the barriers are the barriers are much less than they were a few years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, being seeing patients, you know, virtually, I think my my biggest gripe is honestly, just having a national license to practice, to be honest. <laughs> are we any closer, Dr. Lori? Are we any closer to that? <laughs> so uh, that will happen. And the reason why is because each individual state retains like the regulatory agency is at the state level. However, there is the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact, which has probably 37 or something states in it now. And it's just an implementation. Like, it's just an implementation thing. You yeah. still have to pay the fee for every state and you still yeah. have to wait. And, you know, but however, I, I'm very reassured to see the states cooperating with each other to the extent that they have. And I get mm-hmm. it. Like the state regulatory boards have a responsibility to protect the public. That's their that's their whole mission is to keep people safe and protect the public. But only recently have they been able to start doing that um, in such a way that doesn't cause more problems for their mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an access to care issue. Strict telemedicine laws is an access to care issue. I actually wrote to one of the government officials in Idaho uh, a few weeks ago, and I just told him, the people of Idaho do not have as good of access to care as the people in the rest of the country mm-hmm. because of your laws. Because of your law. <laughs> and You're like, do something about it. <laughs> but they will whenever they need it, when they need some telehealth and they can't get it in the way that they could get it somewhere else. 
once it becomes real, I think then to them on a personal level, then we start to see change. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and that's, you know, for me, that's the, the challenging part of how medicine moves is the fact that the policymakers, the decision makers, um, you know, the, the admin, the CEO boards of these, you know, HMOs, these big, you know, corporations, um, that healthcare is, you know, a lot of is in right now. Um, there's a mismatch, you know, between, you know, us doctors working clinically in the trenches. And, um, I think when you're able to kind of bridge that gap a a lot better, um, and be able to solidify communication, then they'll have a better understanding of what needs to be done. Um, but until then it's like endless meetings and, you know, endless what zoom meetings now. Right. So (laughs) Like this, right? Now. Which way? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well I mean, there's no Zoom here, so <laughs> so I won't won't re-traumatize you. <laughs> so, um, but so, right. but what? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so my next question is, you know, if I had a crystal ball, right, and you and I were sitting, you know, uh, across the table from one another, uh, we have a crystal ball in my hands, and I say, Doctor Laura. Uh, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, you know, how much does telehealth, you know, become a sort of speak pillar in that, you know, healthcare landscape or the healthcare, you know, system? Is it a small portion? Is it a large portion? You know, what do you think it will look like, you know, as we continue to move and progress forward? Love it. I love that question because it's going to have the same presence that virtual anything has in any industry. And I think that that big healthcare, if you will, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call hospital yeah. health systems and insurance, you know, big, big healthcare doesn't need to feel threatened because there is enough. We know there's an access to care problem. We know there's a supply demand mismatch and telehealth serves to offload some of the cases to free up time and space in the hospitals, in the ERs, in the urgent cares. And so telehealth is here to stay, just like all of those other industries that I mentioned. DoorDash, Uber Eats, you know, food delivery is a thing, but restaurants are still open now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for the most part, I don't want to jinx anything. But, but, you know, Amazon, Amazon is huge, but you can still go to the store if you need to or want to. Um, what else? I mean, I can have UPS come and pick up packages on my front step because I arranged it online or I can go into the office. And I think we're going to see a deep integration of telehealth in the way we think about healthcare. 20 years from now, when my kids are thinking about taking their kids in for a strep throat visit, I want the first thing for them to do without even thinking is reflexively reach up into their cabinet, grab an at-home strep test kit, run it, and then have those tests like be booped into their, you know, isn't that what, that's what telehealth sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll make that a verb. They'll be (laughs) their test results to their virtual Dr. Zoo, who's going to be my kid's pediatrician in 20, my grandkid's pediatrician in 20 years will be. It'll be you, right? And then mm-hmm. you'll get a notification. You'll say, oh, no, the purdy grandkids have strep throat. Amoxicillin goes to the pharmacy and we all go about our day. I would love to see that be the future of, of telehealth. But I think 
virtual rounding, virtual procedures, virtual everything, everything. You can dream it. There's going to be a way to integrate telehealth, smart devices, remote patient monitoring. It's all going to be there. So reflexively, you know, um, whenever I see patients, um, you know, in an urgent care fashion, right, um, being family, you know, being trained family physician, um, I think we're very lucky in terms of, you know, we could see, you know, we can help, you know, deliver a kid or we can deliver a kid ourselves. We can, you know, assist on surgeries, right? We can, you know, all the way, you know, to geriatric care, right? Um procedures, everything, you know, the entire spectrum. And, um, you know, when I'm working in the, you know, virtual urgent care uh, sense, right, and I see a patient and they tell me about XYZ, you know, issue, I tell them, well, you know, this is what, you know, our current, you know, telehealth uh, means is good for. And there are some things that it's, you know, not good for. Um, so based off of, you know, current, um, you know, our current, uh, you know, environment, what would you say are the disadvantages of telehealth? And would you say down the future, those disadvantages could one day be, you know, I guess, part of the quote unquote standard, you know, of uh, telehealth, similar to what you just said um, about the, the strep, you know, example? Certainly. So I'm sure you've lived this. If you think about the the patient encounter subjective objective assessment plan, it, right now the the vast majority of our gaps is objective, right? Because you can talk to them all day long, you can know what they feel, but unless they can tell you what their blood sugar and their blood pressure and their, you know, the, there's a limitation in the objective, yeah. and there's a lot of a lot. I just went to the Hims conference last month, H-I-M-S-S. Um, and there is a lot of really exciting technological developments that are moving us in that, in the direction of closing that gap in objective data. Um, but I do feel like, and I think you really hit the nail on the head, especially as an FP kids, geriatrics, obstetrics, urgent care, ER. I mean, we can do anything and, we are really good at knowing what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, think, and we're okay with that. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. I know this much about this, you know, about this. About this. <laughs> we're totally <laughs> okay with that. You know, and we're fine with that. It's, that's the whole point. Um, but, but part of being a good telehealth doctor, and I know you've seen this is that some people need to be told you need to go be seen right now because that sounds like your child has a testicular torsion, or I think this could wait until tomorrow. You know, it's maybe it's 10 o'clock at night. I think this could wait until tomorrow and I think it's going to be fine. But if this happens, go in. A lot of people really crave that um, wise advice, even without the objective data, even with the limitations we're working with, simply talking to a physician or having access to advisement is more valuable than sitting at home Googling you know, mm-hmm. Googling their own symptoms and trying to tell themselves what to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely won't stop them from Googling. I, was, I can assure you that <laughs> half of my half of my time is trying my best to debunk Google. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, Mr. Smith, your visit's over um, because I've been trying to debunk your Google searches all day long. Um, so, you- yeah, no, it's it's um, what what is the saying? It's a blessing and it's a curse um, yeah. in terms uh, in terms of the informational age. Um, I think it went from lack of information to oversaturation of information. Um, but yeah, it is very, um, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, in terms of the sage advice, in terms of the clinical experience and, you know, my favorite thing is when, uh, patients self-diagnose themselves, um, or they're like, you know, they come in, I'm like, what brings you in today, Mr. Smith? And they already tell me with their diagnosis. And, um, it's, it, it's really hilarious to me. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a great way, you know, um, having this from, you know, my personal experience, having this type of industry, this platform, um, all the different platforms that you can serve. Um, it's the access of care, you know, um, and the same thing goes when I started doing locums, you know, it was the access of care. Um, I could see someone in rural Texas, you know, who their primary care, they can't really you know, see because they have to drive like three hours, right? They're caught in the windstorm and their car broke down, you know? So access is care is really, really, you know, important. Um, towards the end of, um, you know, your introduction, you had talked about, you know, those uh, disparities, right? Those health disparities. And I think a lot of, you know, the pandemic has, you know, definitely exposed that and has shed more, you know, light um, into that. Can you speak a little bit about how does telehealth um, can enhance or improve um, that portion of it? Certainly. You really nailed it with the windstorm thing. Uh, that sounds like <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to paint a good picture. Did I do a good job? <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's like it's, it's I feel like that's Oklahoma, what you just described, because um, but there are certain parts of the country where that supply demand gap is just astronomical, especially for mental health care. Um, one of the companies I worked for um, for a couple of years did depression and anxiety care and. I could have patients all across the country and I I can't even tell you the number of times somebody said the closest psychiatrist is three hours away and booked up for the next six months. It's just not sustainable, right? It's not sustainable. And this was, this was pre pandemic when I was working that role. So people were going into the office, they were working more and getting, you know, breaking away to go to a mental health practitioner visit Mm -hmm. was just impossible. And, but, but, you know, what's really interesting when you talk about disparities and barriers is it also gets rid of that nine to five barrier. I've found that, um, the nine to five, like the clinic hours thing of eight in the morning until four in the evening or five in the evening, that is actually an access to care barrier because there are lots and lots and lots of people that that's just not a feasible time for them to get healthcare for whatever reason, job, kids, life, Mm -hmm. whatever, usually it's work, but there can be lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. Shift work. I mean, there's shift workers out there all across the world, all across the country that that's when they're sleeping. And, and so telehealth allows for early morning. It allows for middle of the night. It allows for immediately post injury and it gives so many options to people, even when local healthcare is available, but we talk all the time about how we need to keep people out of the ER that aren't emergency and how urgent cares are flooded and overrun and you get more sick. You get more sick when you go to an urgent care because it's full of sick people. And, and so even in 
in um, resource-rich areas, it still provides an access to care solution by by increasing that um, that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, I totally agree. You know, it's you know, we can, they can have access 24 seven, you know, um, and it just, you know, it differs, uh, per, per platform, but, you know, having those, having that ability to see someone outside of business hours is monumental. Right. And like you said, life gets in the way, it just happens and you can't see, and the doors already close physically. Um, and then also, like you said, I, you know, easy, easy during this context right now to get into their own primary care at least one or two months. Right. Um, so it's, um, you know, the healthcare, you know, force is already uh, short in supply, you know, to be honest. And I've just read, um, you know, because of the current state of the pandemic, you know, upwards of 20% of the workforce is actually going to be, you know, dropping and quitting um, because it's so burdensome, right? And it's such a sad fact when it was already, you know, short in supply to begin with, right? Um, so something needs to change, um, you know, and I, I think that telehealth is here to stay as well. Um, I'm excited to see what, you know, it is to come. Um, you know, are you able to share because you consult, you know, with so many, you know, you're on the exec board, you know, consult with so many different kinds of, you know, companies where, you know, can you share, shed any light in terms of, um, you know, where it could go more, you know, um, you had mentioned about, uh, you know, covering the objective part of it, you know, whether it's uh, having monitors or the abilities to be able to, you know, spit out that raw data for us. But, you know, what are some other new developments, um, if you're able to share, um, is coming down the pike, would you say? Yeah, I am under several non-disclosure agreements. (laughs) (laughs) You know, which is fine. I I don't ever because the other fun thing about telemedicine is that it's a very entrepreneurial. It's a very much a business industry because it's all for the most part private, you know, cash pay. And we don't we're not beholden to the insurance companies a lot of times. And so we have the ability to create offerings outside of the overlording of health systems and and payers. Right. So but but honestly, technology, technology, connected systems, connected devices, remote patient monitoring, like virtual inpatient. I, people always say like, who, who do you, who do you want to do something after you speak? And what I always say is I want the innovators and the founders and the people who have the energy and the drive that are sitting at home thinking, oh my gosh, what if we could fill in the blank, right? What if we could? And I I want those people to share those ideas, right? That's when I say like, send me a message on LinkedIn. Like I don't charge people anything just to talk about ideas and just to brainstorm and provide advice. Mm. But we need to have those innovators with those wild, crazy science fiction level, almost bright ideas, because that's where the future comes from. Like Mm. present, what we are living right now was somebody's crazy idea at one point in time that Mm -hmm. had a position, you know, for a long time. And so I I just, we need those innovators. Yeah. Those crazy next level ideas. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It sounds like a a call to action, you know, is, is what it sounds like. 
Uh, Dr. Laura, thank you so much um, for spending the time out um, and sharing this conversation. I think it's a very, um, it's exciting, you know, um, being someone that's, you know, in the space and, you know, you, you know, being on the cutting edge and, you know, being able to witness all these uh, great things coming down the pike. Um, it is very exciting. So I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to kind of share your passion and joy with where the future is going. Um, I think it's uh, exhilarating. It's almost like watching, you know, a trailer to, you know, a movie that we've been uh, anticipating. So, so I really appreciate you being here on the show. Absolutely. It's been great to talk to you, uh, you know, fellow colleague. I think it's been so much fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. If someone wanted to uh, reach out to you, um, what is the best way uh, for them to do so? The best place to find me is LinkedIn, honestly. I mean, you'll you'll see me out there. I'm kind of all over the internet. But if you send me a LinkedIn message, I, I will get it. And um, Or you can text me. I'll give out my phone number. I, don't be afraid to text me. People do it all the time. It's 910-644-8373. Just do me a favor and um, tell me who you are <laughs> when you message me <laughs> so that I can know what we're talking about. But okay. um, <laughs> I love it. love it. I really do. All right. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely share that in the show notes when this airs. Um, again, thank you so much. And uh, I wish you so much success on your, you know, current and future endeavors. And uh, yeah, keep innovating. And we need more people like yourself. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you around, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching this episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please like, subscribe, and comment. And if you felt like this was a benefit for someone else, um, please let them know as well. And until the next time, please say goodbye to Dr. Laura. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one. Peace.